Good morning. Please have a seat. It, it is good to be back at Grace. I mean, I, I, mean, I had a pretty kind of a fun week uh, away, but it wasn't all that fun. And I, I just feel like if I'm back here, everything is well. I hope you enjoyed uh, Sky Jahani. He spoke uh, last week for us. He's a great guy. We're, I think we're going to have him back next uh, September or this September. We're going to go through a book that he wrote called With, and we'll go through it as a congregation together and maybe have him uh, teach on that as well. If you're thinking about buying that book, would you please not buy that book? We already bought 600 copies of that book. It's in a storage place across the street, and if you want to buy one before the summer, then that'd be great. Buy it from us. We'll sell it for $10. That's cheaper than you can get anywhere else. So, But anyway, um, my... My week away, uh, it was a family wedding, and it was really fun because all of my, uh, my, my kids were able to fly in for that, and we had a great time together with Melinda's family. It was a beautiful thing last Sunday, as a matter of fact. It was a wedding. The reason it was kind of weird is what happened during the week. First of all, I found my daughter's phone and found out that all this time she has been fashion-shaming me with her friends. And, and I caught her with this. this is, look what she posted on there. She goes, this is one of her guy friends, Hayden, says, you know, I've been listening to your dad's sermons and podcasts on and off for a few months. And today it was the first time I ever watched one. Can I mail him some non-pleated pants? <laughs> Homeboy looking like a level 9,000 dad. I think, yeah, okay. And then she said, laughs, oh my goodness, I'm dead. But uh, couldn't agree more, ha ha, glad I'm not alone. Right. All this is happening to me live, and, and Melinda, God bless her, she jumps in and says, this daughter, Carrie, she's uh, in fashion in New York City, and so she says, oh, Matt, don't worry, it's one of her fashion guy friends, don't worry, and then Carrie interrupts and goes, no, Mom, he's just a regular guy, it's that bad. <laughs> so... <clears throat> pick myself up and still uh, drowning and wallowing in shame, I go over to that men's fine clothier store right over there behind Trulux. You've been there? Costco. (laughs) Got me some flat panel pants before I went to the wedding, and this was our dance. Carrie and I went out to dance on the deck so I wouldn't hurt anyone. And then her buddy Hayden says, here's what he says, oh, now those flat uh, front look real nice. So there was that. So... At least Hayden likes me now. <laughs> and, then, and then when we get home, before we even able to unpack, I'm just trying to go to bed. And then we almost have to burn our house down because of a rodent unusual size came and invaded us, broke into our house. Look, watch this video. So, 
I was curling a giant rat. And if you're, some of you saw the look I gave my daughter, you know, when I walked by her, she's such a millennial. We have a life and death situation, and what does she do? I need to grab my phone. I want to record all of this. So she grabs her phone, takes the high ground. She's standing on a table and then stands on the bed. Doesn't help at all. Just laughs through the whole thing. So that was my week. I mean, on a good note, um, I was able to sync my phone with my electric skateboard. And I know no one in here prayed for me, but the seventh grade boy did. And so I thank you, seventh grade boy. And I was able to skateboard at night again. So there's that. Let's get on with our study, shall we? It's good to be back. We're in a series called Guide. We're looking at uh, how to make disciples and how to be a disciple. A disciple is a person who becomes like Christ in all of life, becomes like Christ in all of life. And right now, as we speak, it's the beginning of spring break for most of the school districts. We have over 20 students, or there are 20 students with some adult leaders in Thailand. And about, by the way, almost half of our youth group, junior high and senior high, are on mission trips this, this, uh, this week. And some of those upperclassmen are in Thailand right now, and we wanted those students to ex- enjoy the full experience of what it's like to be a missionary. And so they're working with a group called Crew or Campus Crusade, if you know that as a name, and they're going to do campus ministry at the university there. They're going to work uh, with orphan care. They're uh, uh, doing some special projects and service projects that are going on there. And also, again, to get the fullness of what it's like to be a missionary, we had them all raise at least half of their support to go. It was $2,300 total. And in the context of the full experience, right, there were two, two of the students didn't, didn't have very much of their money raised. And one of them only had $100 going into the final week. And in true kind of sometimes missions experience, some anonymous donor came in and, and gave the the remaining money that was needed, and they were all able to go on a trip. And I just found out between services, someone showed up with a checkbook and said, okay, who still needs money to get to Thailand and back? So the reason I tell you that is it's such a joy to work in a church like this that understands the adventure of, of having wealth, the adventure of having wealth, because that's, the, that's just a fun place to be. And that's the theme of our time together today. When we look uh, in our study together in God, we're looking at First and Second Timothy and Titus. It's about making the most of ministry. That's the theme of all those books, making the most of ministry. And in the book of First Timothy, Paul writes this young pastor and, and, and spends one out of six chapters talking about making the most of ministry. You have to get your idea or your values of finances and wealth right, or you will not have ministry the potential ministry you could have. In other words, if you want to become like Christ in all of life, you must become like Christ in your attitude towards wealth. Or you, you just you, you won't have that Christ-likeness. Jesus talks more about finances than any other subject. Paul spends one out of six chapters talking about this so that you don't ruin the potential of ministry you might have because you're polluted or confused about wealth. Now, two weeks ago when we met, we we talked about the first few verses in chapter 6, and it was talking about the love of money or greed. And Paul said, be afraid. Be very afraid of greed because greed has power. He says this. I'm just reviewing, if you don't mind. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think it's a movie called Wall Street, but the major theme is a man standing up and telling some young students, greed works. Paul would say, greed kills. And, and the reason uh, this, this eager for money is so powerful is because it has an addictive behavior or addictive attribute to it that you're always going to want more. You'll never have enough. And the other power that it has is its subtlety. By the time it's taking you down and you're drowning, it's too late. By the time you figure it out, it's probably too late. You've lost your respect. You've lost maybe even a family or whatever it might be because the cost, the cost associated with greed, you do not want to, you do not want to pay. I mean, here's how he, he, he writes. You, it will plunge you. That's a drowning phrase. He will plunge you into ruin, destruction, root of all kinds of evil, pierce themselves with all and many griefs. Friends, I've seen that so many times over the years. People that start off well and they get tangled, right, with the deceitfulness of riches. So that's what Paul's talking about in the first part. And he, he's, he's saying that in the second part, where we're going to look at today, he's going to talk about what about people that have an abundance of wealth, which is actually most of us, the abundance of wealth. What, do you, what, what can you teach them? What do we need to learn? He's going to give us a couple of cautions, and then he's going to talk to us about the adventures of wealth. A couple cautions, and then the adventures of wealth. Look how he starts with a command. He's talking to us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides every, us with everything for our enjoyment. So this week we're talking about wealth. His first caution is about arrogance. That's where we get the, the phrase or the words, a swollen head. And it's the idea that because of financial success, we might, we might think that we're, we take credit for for getting what or receiving what God has given to us. In 1 Corinthians 8, what have you received that God has not given you? And a person that gets a big head over that, what happens is, is they look at their financial success and then they attach it to their identity. They attach it to their value or their worth. Their ego gets involved in it. And it's some, people, people, some people that are poor, they attach that to their identity, to their ego, and think themselves less. And e either way, it's bad. But they, they attach that to themselves, and then they, it's easy. It, you, you, you generalize your success into other areas of your life. Since I've made so, I'm doing so well in business, I must be doing well in everything else. I must be good at everything else. Let me give you an example that might help you make sense out of this. When a good friend of mine was... Uh, Finishing up his specialty, specialization in medical school, he had he had a whole series of lectures come in, and they were and it was about how to live life as a medical professional. And he had one person come in because there were so many medical doctors losing their fortunes, and particularly in real estate, that they had this person come in and said, "Men, women, here's how this happens." You think that because you can take the heart out of this person and put it in this person that's a pretty big deal and you must be pretty smart. And then you think, if you can do that, you can do anything. 
And that's what was happening. There was this rash of medical doctors losing everything in real estate because real estate people figured out that they were so arrogant, the doctors. Hey, if I can do a kidney transplant, how hard could real estate be? It could be pretty hard. <laughs> and so the point is they were generalizing their success in, in the OR and projecting it into these other issues of financial investments. Okay, so what Paul's saying here is you can become arrogant because you think because you're financially successful that now you can go with your hunches and your intuitions in all these other areas and no, you're no longer teachable. You, 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 don't, you don't think there's, not, there's much to learn, and it's very easy for wealthy people to find themselves unavailable for criticism, that you can just work your way into a system where you don't get confronted on those sorts of things. And so Paul says, you be careful. If, if you have wealth you're, and you attach it to your identity, it could make you arrogant. The second one has to do with where you're placing your hope. He says, you're if you place your hope in that financial success, that's a very uncertain thing to put hope in. And you should be, again, this is identity and stability. You should be putting your hope in something that is certain, the nature of God and the promises of God. But financial success, if you, if you think about it, if, if it makes you arrogant, big-headed, and you put your hope in that, you're going to find yourself as a classic example of what James is talking about in a lot of chapter 4, where he's telling the story of a person that says, you know, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a town, and we're going to stay there for a year, do some business, make a lot of money. And James just like slaps him upside the head and says, really? What do you even know is going to happen tomorrow? Furthermore, what is your life? It's a vapor. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. So if you want to talk about the future, he says this, if the Lord wills that I might live tomorrow, <laughs> then you start making plans. Here's the punchline of that whole section in verse 16 of chapter 4. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. So Paul, he says this, command the rich, smelling salts, wake them up. Don't attach your ego to this. Don't attach your hope to this. This is fleeting. Distance yourself from that. And here's why. Because if you can separate yourself from that wealth, then you get to live the adventures of wealth. And the rest of the sentences we're going to look at is the thrill of the, the, and the joy of having wealth that God has given you. You get to enjoy this thing if you don't get all egotistical about it, right? Look what it says in 16. We'll just read it again, but look how it ends. Command those, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in the wealth So because it's so uncertain, but put their hope in God. What's God doing? Who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Richly provides us everything for what? Our enjoyment. The original language, enjoyment there is the word conqueso. <laughs> it's the fun part of life. Come on, just get the queso. Uh, last May, I was up in Waco with the family and we were there for the graduation of our youngest child. 
let me say that differently. My last child was graduating from Baylor. We're rich now. And we were at Torchy's Tacos, and we did the traditional order at Torchy's Tacos. Okay, we'll have five tacos and five waters. And then the person says, is that all you're going to have? And I looked at her and said, no. I want the queso. We are, and I looked at my kids and wife and said, we are always having the queso. Queso all around. Everybody gets some queso. Because it's... Because it's fun, because it's true. God invented enjoyment. There was a heresy back then that Paul's speaking to, and it's, I think it's still alive and well today, that good food, good life, good living, fun is not spiritual. All the while, God invented enjoyment. The Bible says from cover to cover, enjoy your wealth. Make the most of it. Leave some money to the kids. Sure, that'd be nice. Get some life insurance. That's responsible. But listen, Ecclesiastes says this. It is evil for you to make money and not enjoy the benefits of it. The book of Ecclesiastes will tell you that it is foolish to spend all your time earning and never having fun with that. What's the plan? What, what, what's the plan? Is it to work and work and work and work and then die and leave your widow with a fortune so that, what, she can go travel the world with her new second husband who probably dresses better than you? Is that, is that the plan? That's a foolish plan. Seven times, it says in Ecclesiastes, it says seven times to enjoy. Enjoy uh, the bride of your youth. Enjoy the work of the labor of your hands. Enjoy your wealth. Ecclesiastes is summarized in chapter 12. It says, fear God and enjoy life. It says, give generously and go bungee jumping. That's the theme of it. You should have fun. That's the point. If, if you want to invest money well, with fun and for the sake of your family, I would highly recommend that you don't buy your kids a bunch of stuff. Use your money to make memories. Use your money. Families that are connected in their, in, in their adult life, that, are, that enjoy being with each other later on, secular studies and Christian books will tell you the same thing. They have a couple things in common. They have three meals at least a week together and they vacation regularly together because it's all about shared laughter and shared tears. And if you want shared laughter and shared tears in a concentrated time, go camping. <laughs> go camping together every year. There will be a lot of tears. And then there'll be laughter later when you think about it in hindsight. You spend money to make memories. Old people, when you ask them, you'll see this in so many studies, what are your biggest regrets? They'll say, I worried too much and I didn't have enough fun. They'll say, I should eat less beans and more queso. <laughs> the adventure in wealth begins with this, the enjoyment of what God has given you. The next section says that wealth is to be seen. Again, when you have the gospel sorting the values of your life out, the second thing that happens is 
You see, wealth is a tool. Wealth is a tool for good deeds. And here's the second time he commands the wealthy. Verse 18, command those who are wealthy to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share, to be generous and willing to share. That's... That's, what, that's the purpose of wealth is to be able to give it away. Here's, here's economics 101. This is the kingdom of heaven economics 101. You only keep what you share. You only keep what you share. And, and if you hold your wealth loosely and, and make it easy for, your, for you and, and people to give it away, it, that's what you keep. And sometimes, quite often, it's, it ends up leaving and multiplying and coming back. It, it's when you start giving first, right? Giving first, then your barns will be filled. In the Bible, it's often called the tithe. And even men, uh, uh, David Ramsey, third most popular radio show in America, it's just about financial planning. He'll tell you, start with giving. Start with being generous because it, it affects the way you see all of reality. Even on PBS, you'll see when they're doing fundraisers, they'll always put this one very popular female that does financial um, you know, balance sheets and those sorts of things, and she'll tell you this. You've got to start by giving. You have to be generous because, it, because they, everybody knows there's something about it. You only keep what you share. She doesn't believe in the kingdom. David Ramsey does, but they know the principle because the principle's true. And so in Malachi chapter 3, some of you know the passage where, where God says, there's a plague on the nation. And the reason is, is because you have stolen from me, says God. And so here's how to fix this. Bring first to my house, the temple, the full tithe. The full 10%. You bring that in here, and God says this, you'll only see it here. He double dogs dare, he double dog dares you. Bring in the whole tithe to my house and watch me, says God Almighty. It doesn't say God Almighty. It says Jehovah Almighty, his formal name. Jehovah Almighty, I double dog dare you. You bring the full tithe in here. And it says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and bestow upon you so much blessing you will not be able to store it. That's the principle here. It's the idea of when you give, you receive. It's, it's the idea of you only keep what you share. I'm going to take some time out right now to tell you some fun stories of how that's worked in here, right here at this church. I've been waiting two, three weeks to tell you this section. First of all, uh, our Life Care Pregnancy Center uh, giving this year was the second highest we've ever had because the other one was the 25th anniversary. $60,000 Grace gave to Life Care, independent of two huge gifts that I can't even mention in our time together. The youth trip that's in uh, Thailand right now, was $52,000 were raised. We have 70, 37 people in Houston in, in, in our high school ministry that required $9,000 to be able to work with the hurricane relief for Harvey and to work with the homeless people in Houston. Our junior high program, we have about 33 junior high kids there working at a day camp at Forest Glen in northeast of here. They raised about $8,000 to make that happen. The non-youth stuff, we found a great opportunity in Houston uh, a community called Little Cambodia. And there are so many 
immigrants from Cambodia in this one section that they were living together and trying to get through life. And then Harvey hit and absolutely decimated their entire village. They have nothing. And we're working now with a group called Campus Crusader Crew, and they're going to build 20 homes in March with us and some other ministries. They're working with a pastor there that's turning it into an outreach event. We've given $30,000 towards that already. And our ministries with Rockport, we've given tens of thousands of dollars to Samaritan's Purse and ADRN and some specialty group. We've been sending people down there to do reconnaissance for us. We found a great ministry called CARE, C-A-R-E, pretty clever bunch. They, they've connected with a nomadic Amish group that builds houses for people that are victims of, of uh, natural disasters. And so they just left Louisiana. We've paid three to $5,000 to clear some land that someone's lending and put in gravel roads for this Amish community to live. And then they build the houses of, for people that didn't have insurance or need ex extra help. And I hope when they're done, they'll come to my house and build a deck <laughs> because the Amish are famous for their carpentry skills. Anyway, we, we've, in addition to clearing the land of three to $5,000, we're, we're sending $30,000 worth of supplies. You guys are. $30,000 of supplies. Here's a really fun story. In our reconnaissance working uh, down in the coastal areas, we found out that there was a, a church there where 11 people were having to live at the, in the church. And this is last November and December after the hurricane. And because of the escalated utility use, and the church wasn't meeting because they couldn't, they couldn't pay their utility bills. And the bill was up to $2,300. And they were going to have their lights turned out right after Christmas. And so our executive pastor, Ray Anderson, called the utility company and paid that bill and January. Now, I don't know how the pastor found out, but he called Ray and said, you don't even know us. And we don't even know you. Why did you? Do? And then he just started crying. The pastor just started crying. Why did we do that? Because of the kingdom of heaven economics. You only keep what you, what you share. You only keep what you share. So it's pretty common. The reason we don't give is because we're afraid. If we can release ourselves from that fear, we can start seeing that our wealth, our resources are a tool. Income levels are not to be attached to our ego. They are not to be attached to our identity or our safety or security. They become means of becoming uh, rich in good deeds. That's the purpose of them. That's part of the adventure. You, you want to be part of the adventure of wealth? Here's what it looks like. You make grown men cry. It's a great way to live. It's a great way to see your possessions in a whole new way with the kingdom of God. So the purpose of wealth, or I guess the adventures of wealth, is for the enjoyment of what God gives us. It is, second of all, to allow us as, to have a tool for good deeds, to be rich in good deeds. And the third thing it says is, is you're, paying, you're, you're sending it forward. You're sending the money forward. Let me show you. Again, I'll reread 18, and then it rolls right into 19. Command those, so I'm commanding you, to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may hold, uh, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Send it forward. Invest in your future, your real life that's happening. Use the temporal stuff of this life to, to send advanced right, investments into the future life that's a real life. Ten times it says in the New Testament. Ten times it says that you should think about your future reward for eternity. There's five different reasons the Bible says to do good things. Okay, depending upon uh, the trendiness of the culture, depending upon sometimes the denomination of the church, we usually talk about one or two of those. Rarely is this brought up. Jesus says it, it says it through the New Testament, that your life in this temporal world will be rewarded in the future with, because of the decisions you make. Again and again, you're going to see this over and over again, that kingdom economics goes like this. You only keep what you share, and what you share goes into eternity forever to lay a foundation for you. Um, Jesus tells a story like this. It's in Luke chapter 16. It's, a, it's one of the strangest parables he'll ever teach. He says, okay, there's this rich man with a great amount of possessions, and he's delegated it to his manager. And he finds out the manager's been cheating him. And so he says this. He says, what's this I hear? It's time for you to give an account. And before he gets to the office to give an account to the owner, to the rich man, he realizes, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm too old or tired to, to dig ditches. And so he's crooked and he's lazy. And then he says to himself, and I'm too proud to beg. So he's crooked, he's lazy, and he's proud. Okay, great. So here's what he does. He reasons in his head to think to the future okay, so that he might be accepted in other people's homes later. And so all of a sudden he has this immediate meeting. So he's planning for the future using things that don't even belong to him. So he meets one guy and says, how much do you owe my boss? What's the accounts receivable? He says, uh, 900 gallons of olive oil. Make it 450. Oh, okay, sure. Meets with another guy. What do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Great. Make that 800. Oh, okay. I'll make that 800. The boss finds out. The owner finds out. And what does he do? To a crooked, lazy, proud manager, he says, that's shrewd. He commends him for his shrewdness because he took temporal things that weren't even his and saw himself in the future and made plans accordingly. <laughs> Crooked, lazy, proud, but smart. This guy's mom doesn't even like him, but he does this one thing right. And here's what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. You know, some people of this world are smarter than the people in the church because they see this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's all gone, and it's all going to be gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use the temporal stuff for eternal gain. You, you are able to sprinkle like an alien grace on something as guttural as 
money if you, do, if you use it for the right things. You take someone to lunch to talk about eternity, buy the lunch. Buying the lunch could cause you to become favorable in that person's eyes. It's just money. And if it costs you whatever, how much money to become favorable in someone else's eyes so that they might be more receptive to some sort of truth that the Lord needs for them to hear, it's, it's paying forward. If you spend $100 on lunch, it goes into eternity, into that bank account. Jesus says this at the end of that parable. He says, here's the conclusion. Look, here's how it works. Here's eternity. What we could trust you with on earth, with little stuff, if I can trust you with that, I'll trust you with big stuff in heaven. Then he says this, not just little. He says, what I trust you with finite things on earth, if I can trust you with that. I'm going to trust you with infinite things, eternal things in heaven. So the, the point is, 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 is that the kingdom of economy is, is you only keep what you share, and what you share is put into your account for eternity. That's the, the point is that's the adventure that we're talking about. There's all sorts of opportunities available to us. If, listen, if we become like Christ in all of life, and if that's if one of the things that you have to become, do you have to change? Do you have to become like Christ in your understanding of assets? If you do that, if you can become content, which was last time's lesson, if you can learn to become content, if you can not be trapped by greed, if you can not let wealth make you arrogant, if you can not hope in something that's so uncertain, then you get to live the adventure of wealth. And here's what happens in many people's lives these days. As you grow, you have more opportunities to grow rich in good deeds and to invest in eternity. Because somewhere in your, think of this as a career thing, right, or income stream, okay? There's somewhere in there where you just say, I'm content. And then as you grow in the Lord, if the gospel's getting into your value system, right, if you have an understanding of kingdom economics, then somewhere this is going to plateau, and you're, you quite probably will continue to grow in income because if you've been trusted little, you're going to be trusted in more. And there's this, there's this expanding gap between what you have and what you could be spending on yourself and what you are spending on yourself. Do you understand? That as your income grows and you stay at contentment, the opportunities and the possibilities of you becoming richer in good deeds and, and more expressive in how you're investing in eternity. The gospel shapes your values. It makes you content. It causes you to have more and more opportunities as you go, the greater distance. And so the challenge for us, first of all, is... At a church like Grace, so many of you understand what this, the, the kingdom economics is. It is a joy to serve here in leadership because our, our business meetings are about how fast we're going to pay off the debt, how much money we, we should have in reserves, where we can be more generous in our giving. And I gave you some of those examples. We don't usually talk like that at church, but I just wanted you to know. So many of you understand this and are applying it. There's a lot of you that understand this, but don't apply it. You know these things to be true, and you, and you, and you, have, to, 
you have to transcend this threshold of fear because it's costing you freedom and it's costing you joy. I've intentionally made the theme or the mood of today's time to be lighthearted and fun because I know the topic can make people uncomfortable. I'm telling you, I'm selling this the way I think Paul is selling it. There's so much joy out there that your fear is keeping you from. Come on. Come on. It's just temporal stuff. If you can, if you just apply what you know, it's better to give than receive. There's joy and freedom when you're unentangled, when your ego is not attached to that, when your value is based on not something that's uncertain, but the certainty of the promises of God, what he says you are, a king, a queen, royal family, now. Go become rich in good deeds, right? Invest, pour a slab, a big one for eternity. When an entire congregation can do that, I'm not sure the whole world has seen what that could do. Join us in generosity. The adventure of wealth, okay? Would you pray about that? Lord Jesus, um, we lift up our time to you, uh, our lives to you, our values to do to you. And Lord, we ask that you would cause us to desire and to make choices and about the, what we value. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would attack and quench the fears that we have that cause us or prevent us from enjoying the blessings that you've given us. Lord, we lift up our students in Thailand. We'd ask for more, far more than safety, that, but for hearts to be open and be changed. We expect nothing less than miraculous stories of your intervention. Lord, we'd ask that you'd bless them in that adventure. Our junior high students, our high school students as well, and all the times we leave the campus as ministers. Lord, bless our church. Help us continue to be a generous church, a church that's rich in good deeds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.